Here's Clark again. Oh, and through again he goes. He's got Satuku with him. But it's Ioane, in fact. And Rico Ioane's going to score. What a brilliant play from Caleb Clark, and the Blues are in again. Then it back this near side for Vince Arso. Vince Arso gives it away to Umanga Jensen. And he's got it on the line. And that is a try. Pass. Oh, oh Kia ora, tolo falava, and a warm welcome to another episode of The Counter-Ruck, a podcast where we discuss all things rugby. I'm the host of The Counter-Ruck, Stacey, and today we welcome um, a regular on our podcast, all the way from the city of the future, Mr. Joey Nanai. Joey, thanks for coming on, brother. Thank you, and thank you for recognising us as the city of the future. <laughs> well, we will be touching on the city of the future in this podcast, obviously, but... Um, yeah, before we get into it, I'll um, the two Super Rugby finals. Actually, we'll look at both. Uh, before we get into them, I'll take care of our housekeeping stuff as usual. So, our website, check us out um, www.wizwiznet.com, and also you can follow the Counter Ruck on Twitter and Facebook. So, give us a follow and give us a like on there. Now, uh, Joey, I'm not sure if you caught our podcast last week, but uh, we chatted with Tracy Atinga, the CEO of Kanaloa. And you've effectively been our, our resident uh, expert, <laughs> counter-ruck expert on the you know Pacific expansion teams into Super Rugby. So you know, what did you make of that? Of what she had to say in that uh, interview? And you've got any thoughts on on what she had to say, basically? Yeah, well, um, it was quite a insightful uh, interview. I thought there were things there that uh, I didn't know before that um, Tracy had mentioned, which is, you know, it adds to the um, the, the fire, <laughs> the frenzy, if you like. Um, there were things that she mentioned just about um, Kanaloa and um, the waiting game that they now play whilst, you know, the Fiji Drua team and um, Moana Pacifica um are in the middle of you know how they're in the middle of um getting funding together i believe it's 10 million she said yeah yeah 10 million in the space of what six or seven weeks or something like that so it's not there's not much time to get a team together get funding together and get it all together so um yeah for me that was that was quite interesting that part as well as um the fact that they've been able to hold off on any legal proceedings that they may have had in mind leading towards the end of last year um, for, you know, for uh, against NZR. So I think um, I, c- I would like to commend them on that decision because, um, you know, emotions would have been very high um, when that decision was made to to give um, co- was it conditional licenses to Fiji uh, to Moana Pacifica and Fiji Draw, so yeah, I think emotions would have been very high, and you know um, when you don't have experience or confidence in your own um, 
your own value or your own proposition, then you're going to make silly decisions in the moment, in the heat of, you know, all that emotion. So well done to them for holding off on that and deciding, you know what, we're going to wait and um, see how it pans out, see if Moana Pacifica and uh, Drua actually do, you know, um, what they said they're going to do or what they believe they're going to do. And and I also found it interesting that they were happy to um, point their investors towards Fiji Drawer to help their campaign. I thought thought it was a very smart move because of the two um, of the two um, parties that were given the conditional licenses. Fiji Drawer are the standalone, you know, hundred percent standalone. So. Um, similar to Kana Law, they get to make their own decisions, and it's a it's a fully um, self sufficient team in in all aspects. So, um, and what that means is there's no Rugby Australia or Rugby New Zealand getting involved in decision making or twenty any twenty percent eighty percent business where they get to you know they get to trial or test or drop or um, experiment with with players that they want to and when they want to and um not expect any you know any resistance when they do that so um as as they now have the ability to do uh with with uh, Moana Pacifica so i thought i thought it was it was quite an interesting and insightful um interview indeed yeah, yeah, that's my first time actually meeting Tracy and talking to her. She's onto it. Eh? She seems pretty sharp. So, you know, I felt just after talking to her, if they were kind of law was to win the bid, I think that they could be quite successful. But I was a bit concerned because the fact that they've already got the financial backing, they can get the team and the coaches together ready. They've got a good team in place. They put in a bid when Moana Pacifica didn't even put in a bid. And despite all that, all those positives, they still got overlooked. Uh, so it says to me, unfortunately, I think the writing might be on the wall for Kanaloa, which is really unfortunate. I think that, you know, she talked about the control that New Zealand rugby wants to have over the this Pacific team. And I think that's going to be what ultimately stops Kanaloa getting involved. I don't think that New Zealand rugby will allow a team, a Pacific team, to come in that New Zealand rugby doesn't have some element of control over. Now, it's, yeah, carry on. Were you going to say something, did you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, look, it's um, it's 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 quite a funny one because you know New Zealand rugby they they realise that they've got an entity in uh, Kana Law that will not be puppeteered. You know, they will not have their strings pulled by NZR by no means. And they're willing to do it all alone, find their own funding alone, and do all that at this at the expense of any kind of benefits of having a um, access to NZR's expertise, experience, and and business network. Kana Law obviously, you know, have have some some bright minds there that are confident yep. enough that they'll get the job done, and and. By all accounts, it sounds like they do have the means and the ability to 
to put uh, something together, a product together that can and and would benefit Samoa and Tonga unions, which is one of the main questions that have that have come out of all this malarkey, if you like. Um, you know, and if you ask yourself, you know, where where does the MP share of um, um, gains go to? And by gains, I mean, you know, if you think deep into this scenario, you think, you know, right now, NZR have, what, five teams, which only generates X amount, if you're talking about broadcasting, right? Now, by adding a sixth team via Moana Pacifica, they now have more leverage. NZR now have more leverage when negotiating the TV rights with, say, Sky TT, Sky TV. It's pretty. It's pretty simple. Whereas, you know, kind of law, uh, wants you know by, from what I've seen, kind of law have wanted to decide their own broadcasting rights with with the likes of Sky. Um, that means they would have got their own slice separately. Then they would have given shares to Tonga and Samoa directly, right? So, if you look into it that way, Samoa and Tonga lose out on any broadcasting gains that's now diluted because of the involvement of New Zealand rugby. So this this team, for me, as an outsider looking in, who's not um, by any means affiliated or or, um, in association with any of the the three parties, um, it just looks like this team is for NZR gain, the the Moana team. And that's what my concern has been all along, is that, okay, is this simply a ploy for NZR to gain from? And, you know, you'll, you'll, have, you'll have fans of rugby who will say, well, NZR should have some gains from this. Why, why wouldn't they have gains from this? Yeah, absolutely, they, they, they probably should. They probably feel like they should. They probably feel like they are the A-side in every interaction they have. And rightly so, you know, they've they've been taught no other other way. So, you know, but sometimes I question, you know, some of the um, rhetoric that comes back from um, various corners of the, the Pacific who, you know, just question these these entities or these organizations or these conglomerates or these groups. They're using our Pacific brand as a selling point to to the broadcaster. They're talking to the broadcaster on our behalf. Now, if you don't see what's wrong with that, then you're missing a lot. Whereas, whereas you look at a a, a draw or kind of law, they're talking direct to to Sky. Maybe not so much draw, but kind of law for sure. They're talking direct to the likes of Sky and creating their own revenue share of the broadcasting, you see. Um, and that's where you've got to have faith in, you know, people who've been there and done that. So I guess, I guess if, if you've been in a room full of, full of uh, you know, decision makers like boards of directors and you know what it's like to um, put proposals forward, both physically on paper and in the verbal form, then you'll you'll have some experience in in how to deal with these matters. Um, 
So I just think, you know, I, I just think the 80-20% thing, 80%, 20% thing, whenever I hear about it, I think of puppets and puppeteers. You know? Yep. And it's sad. It is. Are you... Now, that's my first time doing a um, sort of an interview-style podcast. I know they're, they're trying to get Tracy to come on the back of the 135, which is one of our other podcasts on our network, and they're, they're very good at doing the interview-style. But you're right, though, those points you raised, which I should have probably followed up on Tracy with. I wanted to know if she was prepared to make some concessions, if it does come around, because I don't know if the way they, the current bill that they've got, I don't know that New Zealand Rugby Union will sign off on that, just for the reasons you said. They'll get none of that broadcast money if Kanaloa negotiated themselves. You know, they can operate on their own. They could potentially take 100% of the players that they want. New Zealand rugby, it's a scary thought for New Zealand rugby to allow that to happen without control. So I wonder if, um, yeah, if it came to it, if she would be prepared to do with the 80-20 just to get it over the line to say, because I don't know. New Zealand rugby, I don't think New Zealand rugby are going to go with kind of lost proposal even though it's very good they're well organized they've got the finances from if you didn't have sort of a biasness you'd think this this seems like the easy answer they're ready to go but they've gone for sort of the answer that's a lot more convoluted because it suits they can have their hand in it a bit more you know so yeah i, I think that she might come up on one of our other podcasts and I know the the back of the 135 guys are really good at pressing that stuff so Good thoughts there, Joey, for sure. And we'll keep following that kind of law story, um, Wana Pacifica story, all of these Pacific bids quite closely. So it still looks like there still seems to be the story that never ends in a lot of ways for us as well. <laughs> Didn't keep coming back to it. Mm. Yeah, oh, it's, nice. it's just relatable to other areas of society, um, especially, you know, from the eyes of a Pacifica in New Zealand, you know. It's not just rugby where this happens. This happens all over the show, you know. this is It's just been highlighted more by this kind of law saga, if you like, um, uh, NZR saga. Yeah, it's quite interesting. It's unfortunate as well because I think – well, we'll see what happens. I thought Kanaloa, the, the bid that they proposed would be more helpful towards Pacific rugby, but obviously New Zealand rugby are pulling the strings and they're interested in what's good for New Zealand rugby. So, yeah, we'll definitely keep following that up. But, um, right, we'll look at some Super Rugby finals. So, um, the Reds, the Reds left it late to beat the Brumbies 19-16 to and they won Super Rugby Australia and the Chiefs, they won their fifth Super Rugby title straight. <laughs> by downing the Chiefs, you know, your neck of the woods there. Uh, 24-13 was the final score. So look at that game first. Crusaders-Chiefs, mate, what did you make of that final? Mate, I just, I thought it was very unfortunate and uh, for, for the Chiefs to lose the way they did. I thought um, it was kind of a fairy tale journey towards the final, which would have been nice to, to, to see a Chiefs win, but it wasn't to be. And that was just due to uh, several missed chances throughout the game. And, you know, no more than 13 versus 15, you know, how, how do you blow that kind of an opportunity, right? Questions have to be asked. Um, you know, and those missed chances came back to bite them in the bum in the end. So, um, yeah, quite unfortunate. And I feel sorry 
for for the Chiefs uh, setup, and you know all those involved in getting them to the final. It must have been really sad. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I was speaking to Cameron, who's doing our fact checking at the moment. And he mentioned this point. So they were down, they were down to thirteen when the Crusaders, the Chiefs get a penalty, and they went for a shot at goal, and maybe they sort of kicked for the corner, went for the try with the two men overlap. You know, who knows? It could have been a different game at that point. But um, you know, I thought Moonga, Richie Moonga, he was um, he was bloody awesome when they were down to thirteen guys, and I thought he really stepped up in that second half and took control of the game. So, you know, he looks more and more assured and more like the the All Black first five that you would expect to do that sort of thing. So, yeah, I was gutted for the Chiefs. Just for our regular listeners will know, uh, we put a $10 bet on, and at the start of the season when the Chiefs had lost, I was at 10 games in a row, Roger, who's another regular on the counter-ruck, he said he wanted to put $10 on the Chiefs to win the title. And, um, yeah, I thought that was a waste of money, but we did it. So I'm actually shocked they got that far. And I was, I've never cheered for the Chiefs as much as I've cheered for them this week, just for me being a Blues fan. It wasn't to be, but man, the fact that they got that far, like you said, that was quite a fairy tale. I don't think anyone, they lost the first two games of the season. And I think people would have, you know, if you could have asked people, you think the Chiefs would win the wooden spoon or get to the final, people would have said, no way, they're not going to make the final. They're going to be down the bottom again. So it was a massive sort of second half of the competition comeback as well. So, hmm. Uh, I'll just get your thoughts. I saw this, I was listening to uh, Devlin, and he was talking about the Crusaders midfield, how awesome they were. So David Havili at second five, and Whanganuku at uh, 13. And he thought that they could be potentially the all-black midfield. So they got a, they got a good mix there. You know, they've got the power and the strength and the size of of Whanganuku and they got the skills and the kicking game of Havili and it's just like a good mix of them two together. But mate, have you do you got any thoughts on that? Do you think that they could be a potential some smokies there for the midfield for the All Blacks? Hey, look, I, I don't I don't think he's entirely wrong. I mean and I can I can see logically why that would work. Um my only question mark is where does that leave the, the ALBs, you know, and the um, yes. who else is there? Is there Laumape? Is he even in the in the picture? Is he even in the conversation? Um, you know, and and the good Hughes when he's injury free. Um, but yeah, where does that leave? You know, Antonina Brown as a as a first choice. So that's that's the only question I would have on on you know Devlin's ramblings. But um, otherwise, you know, he's spot on. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Anton Leonard Brown, he's sort of too good to to leave out. So, yeah, not a bad midfield choice actually. I I think that they might both get in the All Blacks as well, which is you know testament. And also playing alongside Moonga, that if they could have a 10, 12, 13 who have a familiarity, that could also be an advantage. But um, I'm not sure if we want to talk about this, but there's some rumours about some hotel damage. Did you hear about that? <laughs> Just being mad oh, sports? What's going yeah, on there? Yeah. I, is, that a, hear, is that a Hamiltonian thing or what's going, what's going on? on? I did hear some murmurs. Yes, I did indeed. I heard some murmurs, uh, but not only from the Chiefs crowd, but you know, also the the some murmurs about other incidents from the Highlanders crowd. You know, um, the hotel carnage. You know, from the Chiefs, um, mate. 
Like, but they have come out and said, you know, one of their representatives have come out and said, um, I think it was the CEO of the Chiefs came out and said it wasn't them. So you've got one side who are the media saying it was them, and then you've got uh, a direct denial of the incident having any involvement by the Chiefs players from the CEO. So um, it's it's something I would look further into, I'd say. Yeah, yeah. The Chiefs, oh man, come on, guys. Although I can't blame them. If I was in their shoes in my twenties, you know, you lost the final against thirteen guys that you think you probably could have or should have won. I'd be so salty. You had a few beers into the mix, and I'd be a horrible person to be around. So, yeah, we don't. Not that we condone that sort of behaviour if it's true, but you know, it's. I will say that I, I can sort of get with what happened. But if you look at the actual complaints of the lady, it was just, all it was, was they were staying on the same floor, or they weren't on the same floor, they may be visiting their mates who were staying on the same floor, of the 12th floor of that hotel, I think it was the Novotel, it was what, what was in the pictures, um, and she alleged that they kept awake by banging on doors and talking really loudly, I mean, uh. come on, come on, really? Yeah. I get that it's, you know, wee small hours of the morning, but come on. You complained with that? That was the noise complaint? Yep. You, compl- you know, it's not like they blasted their sounds in, inside their room and, you know, all hours of the morning, but yeah. Um, so so it was it was half an hour. It was a half an hour window from 4 a.m. to 4, well, 4.20, and then they broke it up at 4.30. So within a half-hour window, which is 4 a.m. to 4.30, which I'm guessing this is when they've come back from McDonald's after having a feed at McDonald's after the clubs close at 3, right? Right. And they've got back to their hotel room and, you know, are loud and obnoxious as you are, as you can be, right? I'm guessing that's what happened, you know, if if it was the Chiefs or whoever it was that were staying at their hotel at the time. So I can understand. The, the logic, yep. the logistics of that, for sure. Yep. Yeah, yeah. we just got to say, you know, I suppose well done to the Crusaders again, five in a row. I mean, Foster better start winning some games for the All Blacks because I know that Scott Robertson, the, the drums will be beating louder and louder and louder for him to be the All Black coach. So, Foster, if you're listening, you probably ain't, but if you are, <laughs> mate, get your act together, brother. But, uh, yeah, mate, we'll look at the Australian one. So the final, again, it was the Reds against the Brumbies. And the Brumbies left it late, so they took it out 19 points to 16. I'm not sure if you caught much of that one. Yeah, I did catch a little bit of the one. Um, I especially caught the interview <laughs> at the end by Sonny Bill Williams on um, Tanya Lajapal. Oh, yeah. yeah, that was good. Yeah, it was, a, it was a quite a heartfelt interview, I thought. Um, and good on the young fellow. Do we still call him young? Yeah, we're good on the young fellow um, for taking on that interview and uh, showing raw emotion. That was good. It's good to see. Yep, yep. Um, I know what was it? James O'Connor looked like he got all the nineteen points for the Brum- for the Reds, so he was bloody outstanding. And I know they've got a yellow card to Rob Valentini, who's been bloody awesome all year. And that was a crucial moment in the game. It was sort of towards the back end, uh, sort of mid-run 60-minute mark, I think. 
and that sort of helped to swing the momentum to the Reds. Um, but I heard this interesting stat. So they played three times the Reds and the Brumbies this year, and the Brumbies have led... Uh, so that's 240 minutes of rugby in those three games, and the Brumbies have led for 236 minutes wow. against the Reds. Yeah, and the Reds ended up winning all three games. So <laughs> Wow. Yeah, that's three times in a row they've bloody stolen it at the death. Um, mm. Yeah, well, if you if you listen to the interview that Tani Latupol did with Sonny Bill, you could tell that they really didn't want were sick of losing to the Brumbies like they did last year in in the the Super Rugby Australia final last year, mm-hmm. where they played the Brumbies and lost over there in Canberra, and you know they wanted to make amends, and obviously this year they learned from their mistakes and had a good preseason, came back. And obviously done a good job on them three times over. So good on them. Yeah, good on them for, um, how do they say in, in uh, rugby after-match speeches, um, rectified their mistakes. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's interesting you brought that up because James O'Connor, when he got interviewed, I think this was just before the first game that they played this year. And he talked about that as well, how they keep losing to the Brumbies. And he said he was watching the last dance and he brought that up. He said, you know, we keep losing and I take that personally. And then he wanted to make sure that they got the win. So, you know, good on them. Good on them for that. But um, yeah, the Reds, uh, the Crusaders, they were probably the two best teams on on both sides, to be fair. So it's, um, I think it's a, it's a fair result that they ended up winning. Um, yeah, they ended up winning, so congrats to those teams. But uh, yeah, we'll just have a quick update on our Wiz Wiz medal. So, um, just for our listeners, we've got the Wiz Wiz medal for the Super Rugby Player of the Year, and that's named after our network. So, uh, how it works is we review each game and allocate three points to the best player, two for the second best player, and one for the third best player, and then we'll just uh, add up all the points at the end of the season to get a winner of the Wiz Wiz medal as our player of the year. So we are including the Trans-Tasman section in this, so it's going to keep going, and that means it's still wide open. But if I have a quick look at our leaderboard here... So in first place, we've still got Damian McKenzie. He, after, you know, the Chiefs got some late forms, he's on 11 points. We've got a two uh, two guys on 9 points, so Cody, uh, Cody Taylor and Rob Valentini, and then James O'Connor with another man of the match performance. He's uh, on fourth and eight points, so still wide open. Um, uh, another update, our TAB account. So the last bit we did was your one, uh, Joey. We put on the, the Blues to beat the Chiefs. Now, I should have done it earlier on in the, that week, but I did it towards the end when the teams got named, and then the odds just plummeted. So the Blues were only paying uh, $1.20 at that point. But, hey, we still got to win. And we'll take it. So that puts us up to $167 for our account. Um, and we're going to place a bit. So we'll have a quick sneaky look at some of the Trans-Tasman, Super Rugby Trans-Tasman, which starts up this week. Won't look at all the games, but I'll just get some thoughts, mate. Um, what have you make, What are you making of these Aussie teams? It's still hard to sort of gauge without them playing against the New Zealand teams. How do you think they're going to fare? Or how do you think we're going to fare as well? Are we as good as we think we are? <laughs> Have you got any thoughts on any of those types of things? Um, yeah, uh, before I get into that, just a quick jab at the uh, my mate Roger and the old Chiefs there. Um, yes, it was nice to see that Blues game where they actually gave them a bit of a walloping, didn't they? Uh, the old Chiefs. Um, mm. 
And and I would say, I would go as far as saying, they probably softened them up a bit too much leading into their final with the Crusaders. But anyway, I'll leave it at that and uh, carry on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just so on the, the Chiefs lost. Uh, the Chiefs lost twelve in a row. Then I think they won five in a row. You know what, they're on a two-game losing streak, so they're all about the streaks. Maybe they're going to go on another losing streak again, and we'll, we can give the Blues some credit for that. Yeah, no, so carry on, Joe. What were you going to add, brother? Yeah, just on the um, the Super Rugby Australia teams versus, you know, say, um, Super Rugby New Zealand. Obviously, time will tell now that we've got the Super Rugby Trans-Tasman set to kick off this Friday. Um but uh, it was interesting to see that, you know, the, the Inform 15, um, according to Campbell Burns, um, who was a Sky Sport um, journo, 14 of the 15 he chose came from the final, which was Brumbies and Reds. The only other guy was number 14, the right winger, Marika Koronbete from the oh, Rebels. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's quite telling indeed that um, most of their, I guess, most of their strengths lie in, you know, in the Reds and Brumbies franchises, uh, organisations. So, um, but I guess when, when they come up against these New Zealand teams who uh, are now, I think some of them are over there, aren't they? Over there in Australia already. Um I think it's going to be. It's going to go. It's going to go more in favour to the home teams, I'd say, because mm. they've got their home field advantage, which is you know the, the Aussie teams. But at the same time, I think um, the teams that missed out on the weekend on finals will be rearing to go. Um, maybe not so much Highlanders after their debacle at you know. Um, after their little controversial um, nights out, or whatever, but uh, more so the Blues and maybe the Hurricanes. I think those two teams will definitely have a point to prove. Um, Hurricanes especially need to point prove something, so they haven't proved anything all year, really. But um, yeah, I think the rugby teams in Australia, um, you know, there, there's some standouts that are definitely worth watching this competition, this part of the competition for. And one that you named earlier was James O'Connor. He is absolutely on fire at the moment in terms of um, his self-discipline by the looks of it. Um, and that's showing in his play. It's, it's just showing that he's he's matured as a rugby player and um, things are working well for him. And, and the guys that are, that are working around him are actually, you know, uh, reacting in a positive way. So... That could only mean well for him leading into any international duties later on. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like James O'Connor, I remember when he jumped on, he came on the scene, I think he was basically straight out of school, straight into Super Rugby. He was a childhood prodigy. And he sort of fell off the rails a little bit. And he looked like he was never going to fulfill his potential. But I don't know, after getting cut from the Wallabies and being a bit of an, an idiot, he's gone away, he's matured, and he's come back. And he looks like he's finally turned into the player he was always supposed to be, which is good for him to get that redemption. But, uh, yeah, I quite like the look of the Reds. Um, and interesting to see how they go. I'm not surprised that 14 of the 15 guys were from that final because it does look like in the Australian side, there's a definite top two 
and then there's a bit of a gap to the other three. So, mm. yeah, definitely the Reds and the Brumbies will be the teams to watch. Um, one thing about this Trans-Tasman is there is another final. So, come on, Blues. <laughs> you let us down. you gotta, you got to do us right. But, uh, yeah, for our TAB account, mate, do you want to put a bid on, say, a winner or a wooden spoon or anything along those lines? Oh, that's a good one. Just for our um, 10 bucks or a multi. Mate. Um... We're basically playing with free money because from what we started off, eh? So I'm happy to... Do you mean a competition winner? Yeah, yeah, we can go for that. Look, I think the easy money is Crusaders, but um, I don't like to take easy money. I like to take risks. And I think the Chiefs will have a point to prove, and I really do hope they do well in this Trans-Tasman derby. Um, So I would back the Chiefs or the Blues to take out the comp. So either wow. of those two for mine. Nice, nice. Chief of Blues. Um, let me just pull something up here. I saw something a bit earlier, which I was looking at. Whilst you're doing that, one one um, cool thing I've noticed is with the Super Rugby Form 15 of Australia, you've got nine out of 15 players of Pacifica Heritage. And that could that could contest a similar team by New Zealand, I'd say. Super Rugby Aotearoa Form 15. Mm. I think, you know, you probably have more Pacifica in the Aussie team than the maybe the New Zealand team. Not sure. Yeah, it's interesting because uh, Ken Laban, who's, you know, he's a renowned uh, New Zealand sort of sports um, media guy, and when they were talking about Moana Pacifica and what their intentions are, he brought up the fact that I think the All Blacks had 17 Polynesian players last year, but the Wallabies had 20. So they had more Islanders and the Wallabies than the All Blacks do, which is uh, which is just sort of touching on what you're saying as well. So Australian influx of Polynesians is you know, fast rising, similar to where New Zealand rugby is at as well. So, yeah, not surprising in a way. But I'm just pulling up these odds here. So Crusaders, $1.83. That's not even worth betting on. But this is a surprise for me. The Blues are the second favourites at $7. And then the Chiefs at eight fifty to win it. Um, yeah, well, all right. <laughs> we're, not, we're, not, we're not even going to bother on the Crusaders at $1.83. That's not even... See, I would say the bookies have gone for the Blues over the Chiefs based on purely on that performance at Eden Park and the previous one. Where you know, I think it was Blues that won as well. So yeah, I think yeah, yeah, I think I think that's what they're basing it on. So um, yeah, and rightly so. But at the same time, they shouldn't write off uh, you know a Chiefs side that is that were gutted in their performance in the final. Yeah. So who are we going for? Who? Uh, we'll put a ten dollars on someone. Who did you say? Sorry. Oh. oh. I, my heart wants me to go for the Blues, but I've never bet with my heart. I always bet with my mind, and the Chiefs uh, are it for me. Nice. Chiefs at 850 that's looking good money as well. Um, just on the Chiefs, your uh, family member is going to be a big loss for them. He's decided to go the Olympic route, so... Yeah. So, um, look, I'm, I'm, I'm of the thinking that the Olympics is every four years and the opportunity to go to the Olympics as a in, in form, um, you know, peaked rugby player or peaking rugby player 
I would go for the Olympics if I was him. So uh, I think he's made the right choice, as has Caleb Clark. And I think there is one more. I can't remember who it is, but there is one more uh, from Super Rugby, Aotearoa, that is going to the Olympics. Um, I think it's the best choice for them because they're still young enough to come back and vie for um, all-black opportunities, whereas the opportunities to do the Olympics thing it doesn't come around all the time. Mm. I wonder how close he would have been to, I suppose, the All Blacks radar, because he had established himself as the number one wing at the Chiefs, and I think he was right up there for defenders beaten with that step and all the rest of it. So, Is that right? He, yeah, he was. I think he was second behind Richie Mwanga. Um, he this was was a real breakout season for him. You know, he's sort of been on the in there, but you know they had Ale Malo and they had uh, Sean Stevenson and all of these other guys I'd pick. But this time it was his. It was clear that he was their first choice wing. So it's quite interested, interesting to see how how he would have gone. I think it's testament to um, his, I guess, discipline and focus that um, he's had a breakout season like the season he's just had. He this time last year, I still remember sending him a couple of messages. Um, just encouraging him because he, this time last year, he was sent back to club rugby um, to play in the county's Monaco rugby tish, uh, competition. And he, I think it was Manurewa he played for, but yeah, he was sent back to club rugby. And um, I know what it's like for players to be sent back to lower levels after playing in, in, a, in, a, in the top team. And and I also know what it's like to not get the feedback that you're after in terms of work-ons, in terms of where you're at, where you're standing in the team uh, hierarchy um, uh, kind of thing. So, you know, words of encouragement um, are definitely needed from all corners. So if you've got a, a family member or a friend who goes through that, and you want to reach out to them, just reach out to them, send them a message and say, hey, look, you know, these things happen not just in rugby but in life. And you've got to go and uh, you've got to keep keep on keeping on and keep fighting that good fight. Yeah. yeah well, good, good there. I think I, I'm with you. If I was in his shoes or Caleb Clark's shoes or whatever, you know, you, the Olympics is once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, so you got to go for it. You know, when he's an old old and retired and all the rest of it, you will look back and think, man, you know, I really went after that once-in-a-lifetime opportunity and I chased it, so, you know, I'm not going to knock that. But we're just joined by, uh, you know, our Chiefs, resident Chiefs fan here, Roger, who's jumped on a bit late. So, Roger, mate, we were talking before we put our $10 bet on at the start of the season, if you remember, for the Chiefs to win, and that looked a million miles away, and then they uh, fluked their way into the final, I'll say. And just came up a little bit short. So I'll give you a couple of, um, a minute or so to have your rant about the Chiefs. And just what you thought of that game in the final. Oh, okay. Yeah, I agree. Just cut yourself off. You're on mute, mate. <laughs> Rod, you're still on mute. This is typical of the Chiefs. Everything was malfunctioning, just like your internet again. It's, it's the story of what happened in the final, basically. Are you still working out your internet from last time? <laughs> Unbelievable. Nice. Roger, mate, can you get yours to work? Nope. 
No luck. Or you just you don't want to speak about your team. But um, yeah, well, uh, I'm glad you came on because when you if you thought that was a ridiculous bet for you to put ten dollars on the Chiefs to win Super Rugby Aotearoa, Joey's jumped on and put ten dollars on the Chiefs to win uh, Super Rugby Trans Tasman. So uh, our ten dollars is going on that, and we look like we're going to be hopefully in the money. You know, my heart's still with the Blues, but if the Chiefs did win and we got the eighty-five dollars, it's going to be, I wouldn't be too disappointed. But um, yeah, we're just about to close up now, Roger, unless you've got something you want to add. Um, Joy, mate, I'll get you to just um, jump through, mate. Have you got some final thoughts that we've got for our, our pod, just on the Super Rugby, anything? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, I don't know if Roger still thinks this is a makeshift competition like he did last season, but... Um... <laughs> <laughs> But um, you know, it was it was nice to see the Chiefs after their um, zero and twelve <laughs> situation come back and make the final. You know, uh, that was that was quite nice from a, from a rugby fans' point of view. It was nice to see that they went up there and gave it their all with you know the Crusaders. Unfortunately, it wasn't the best performance that they could have hoped for. And they blew some some chances, some especially in the kicking side of things with uh, Damien McKenzie not making three kicks um, that could have I I believe could have turned the game for them because as as a forward who sees their um, kicker slot goals doesn't matter if it's a three three point gap or a twenty one point gap just seeing your kicker slot a goal that's um, you know that's going to help you mentally to recalibrate, reset, and get back there and think about the next job. But when your kicker is missing three in a row, that's got to be a little bit demoralizing for your team to 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 even offer him a word of encouragement after the third one. You know, all right, mate, next job. All right, mate, that's all good. We have those kind of days, but then you miss a third one in a row. What do you say? You know, as a forward, you know, the expletives must have come out in their minds at least. But um, you know, it was it was quite a good competition. I thought um, the the right two teams made the final, even though my heart's with the Blues. Um, the Blues didn't deserve to be in the final based on the opportunities they let go. They put themselves in their position and have no one else to blame but themselves. I think the Chiefs really capitalised on the opportunities that were given to them after they started winning again, which was which was nice to see. So um, the Hurricanes, they were the biggest disappointment for me in the competition because at the beginning I thought they at least had a you know had some inspiration in the inclusion of uh, the the. The black bus. Do we still call them the black bus? The bus um, in their wider squad, and you know, to have an older head like that come into the team, you would think his experience would be imparted on on the young blokes. But I guess they've got some learnings there for from the season. They've got, um, and then you have the other, you know, the other distraction, which is the the Pacifica teams of you know Fiji Draw and Moana Pacifica being mentioned as uh, teams for next season inclusion for Super Rugby. And, you know, I think that there would have been a distraction to some degree for certain uh, fringe Pacifica players anyway. Um, 
I would have, you know, been like, well, if I don't do well in my Super Rugby team this year, uh, maybe I have a shot at uh, being part of that 20% next year in, in Moana Pacifica. So all these scenarios play out, and I'm sure the, there's, there's enough of a distraction with uh, the the never-ending, it seems, pandemic or, you know, disruption. Um, so I think players are really looking forward to, uh, right now, to this trans-Tasman competitional part of the, the, the season and looking to really make their mark because this is where they get to write their names in their respective international teams. Yeah, good thoughts there. Um, I agree with the a lot of that actually. Uh, Roger, are you having some any luck? No. Roger's shaking his head because he's watching a replay of the Chiefs versus Crusaders. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the Crusaders, who are five-time champions, as if they couldn't get any stronger, but they just signed a world-class player in uh, Pablo Matera. So, Roger, mate, I know you've had a lot to say. We've sort of had some technical difficulties. So I'll give you the first word, mate. What are your thoughts on Pablo Matera as a signing for the Crusaders? Well, I guess after what happened um, last year, not only getting a historic, historical win over the All Blacks as the captain, and then, but then falling from that uh, pedestal and falling from race in relation to historical messages as, a, as an under 20-year-old playing for the Los Pumas in the 20s, um, whilst in South Africa, uh, one of those racial streets that we all made to know via social media. How it was regurgitated and just sort of brought to the fore when he was at the peak of his powers, having just led the All Blacks to uh, that great win. Um, so that's, that's sort of going to taint his career moving forward. He's only 27. He's probably still got a good uh, five years left in the, in the game, plus, you know, playing for the but, you know, I guess there's always going to be interest in a player of that calibre, but at the same time, how many teams want to attach themselves to someone that's got that sort of uh, background history to their name? Waratahs were... He was interested in the Waratahs. However, this is the uh, Morning Herald report said they never quite made him an offer. So the Crusaders have now signed him as of the 30th of April. Um, I reckon it's a good... It's a good shout for the Crusaders, you know, having someone that they've already showed interest in um, signing the Japanese um, loose forward season. So I think they're just trying to um, extend their um, powers further afield with getting some of these other, uh, what would what you would call, uh, at least in Argentinian terms, a marquee player. So a marquee signing for, from that regard. But he's going to be doing that sort of illustrious sort of um, loose forward Caliber, that's what we've known to be tuned out of the Crusaders. So it's going to be good competition, and he's, he's probably going to really thrive. But you know, whether how much we don't know how much game time he's going to get. Uh, but yeah, it should be interesting. So is it? I don't know if it's signed for this Trans Tasman or is it for next year? I, I believe it's next year, Rog. Nice. Yeah, Joey, mate, what are your thoughts? And, and where are they going to fit him in? Because they've already got, a, what, 10, 11, 12 All Blacks already. So, mate, just uh, get your thoughts on the signing first and also how you see the makeup of their best loose forward trio now that they've got a world-class guy in Mateta there, along with all the other, you know, 20-odd All Blacks they got there. Yeah, I think, um, you know, 
Mate, it's a bit of a coup, I think. I mean, but in uh, an incoming one, an inbound coup where, you know, you've got a player who, uh, like Rog said, was available due to the controversial circumstances of the past uh, that has come back to bite him in the ass. Um, I think from um, a player perspective, he's going to add so much to that team. You know, obviously the the Crusaders are uh, a powerhouse unto their own, um, but, you know, he brings tenacity, he brings genuine leadership qualities. He, you know, he's he's got physicality and work ethic that you really want to see of an incoming, I don't know, do we call him a marquee player coming into, you know, that setup, Crusader setup? I'm not sure. Not in terms of... Uh... New Zealand too. Mm. I think in relation to where he's in the picking order, Argentinian mm. wise, mm. Um, I think he is he'll be well sought after, especially having that that win over the All Blacks under mm. his belt. I think that sort of boosts his stack up a little bit there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, and I think it was, it's a bit of a missed opportunity for the, you know, the, the Waratahs and, you know, but they have justified their decision based on, um, you know, the return of Michael Hooper and the likes. Um, so, you know, they probably feel they don't lose too much there. Um, I think he will add to the leadership qualities that exist in that um, that team of the Crusaders. Scott Barrett would be someone who I think can rub shoulders rub shoulders with him and um, actually learn from him from an international perspective. Um, he doesn't have to have the title to to lead within that group. I think those qualities will come out during, you know, during the season and it'll be nice to see, you know, how he actually goes and how many starts and things like that that he actually gets. Um, and playing in this local competition, you know, we've seen um, – international stars come to New Zealand shores and play in New Zealand rugby, uh, super rugby teams. And some have done well, some haven't. Um, namely, um, what's his name? The the seven that played for um, England, Haskell, James Haskell. You know, he played with the Highlanders. I think it was one or two seasons, probably one season. And he, he speaks highly of his time uh, with the Highlanders and, it actually added to him as a player and a person off the field. Um, he did go back to a podcast and and talk some shite, some absolute shite about um, New Zealand, um, <clears throat> New Zealand rugby not being uh, as as tough as you know the world makes it out to be. But that's that's his own personal opinion. Um, yeah, I think um, Matera will definitely. Matera will definitely uh, add more than he will take away. Yeah, I, mean, I think it'll be a good experience for him because you know to not only play in Super Rugby via the Hagawares as a lot of the Argentines have, have experienced now, but to now play within um, a New Zealand franchise, let alone a champion New Zealand franchise, one that has just proven time and time again, as they have done in Super Bowl 2021, that they're always going to be a force to record regardless of who takes the field, regardless of who's got numbers 1 to 15. Whoever's there, right through to 23, are going to do what's necessary, and unfortunately the Chiefs would just get a little bit off the mark. Uh, similar to D-Mac, despite his 
routine of smiling away at the goalpost, but those three crucial penalties must have been, you know, painful. And my son sort of summed it up. He was watching it with my, my brother at home, and he just said that after the game, I asked my brother how my son was feeling because I was thinking my son's going to be destroyed. And he just summed it up. That's why I'm sort of happy, you know, uh, my son, he's made his choice to support the, the, the Chiefs over the years. And come on, come on. I think, you know, you know, Monkey does, oh, Monkey do what's to say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, basically, but for him now, it's, 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 it's Chiefs' mana is what's ingrained in him. And the way he summed it up, he just said at the end of the game, my son, my brother talked to me, oh, I'm cool. So, yeah, that's right. The Chiefs got two championships behind the Blues, who have got three. So, <laughs> we'll, we'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Maybe. Hey, so, does this count as a championship, this whole trans Tasman? Is this a separate tournament? Because each country's had their, their own, but now we find a champion for the trans Tasman. So, does it count as a, like a, a B? title in Super Rugby 2021? Because it's never been had before. Depends who wins it. If the Blues win it, we're counting it. We're definitely counting it if we win it. It's very prestigious if the Blues win. No, but um, right boys, um, a couple more things happened. So with obviously the Trans-Tasman, which you're touching on, Rog, we've got some new law innovations. So there was a bit of um, differences in how Super Rugby Australia played to how Super Rugby uh, Aotearoa was played. And they finally agreed on some rules. So the extra time for the final only and not for the regular season. So if it's a draw, it's just a draw. Um, the goal line dropout instead of the 22 dropout, that's still in existence. Uh, the red card, if a player gets red carded, you can replace them after 20 minutes. That still stays the same. Those Australian sort of uh, NRL rules, which they had. So they had the 50-22 kick and the 22-50 kick, which I was never a fan of, to be fair. Both of those got, got cut. Um, and the captain's referral as well, that's also gone. So I think the Crusaders end up being quite cynical about how they were using it in the last sort of couple of games there. So that's also gone. Um, just what do you guys have any thoughts on those rules there? I think this might be a bit of a mix, but I'd be interested to get your thoughts, uh, Rog. So I didn't really follow this rule, the red card rule, that closely. So we went, it wasn't applicable for New Zealand Super Rugby Aotearoa? It was. So New Zealand and Australia, yeah. I mean, you've got the 10 minutes for the Sinbin, right? And then the player can come back on. So there's already an advantage for any team to have a 10 minute period due to foul play or what have you that scores this player to get 10 minutes and they get a chance to sort of try and um, balance up the ledger from, you know, having one player up. 
with the red card, it, as we've seen in the past, and we've seen time time again, it's a it, it can be such a crucial uh, decision, and can play such a massive part in games being won and lost, um, and a disadvantage for the player, the team that have lost the player for the remainder of the game, however many however many minutes it is. So I believe twenty minutes is good because it does give that advantage at least for twenty minutes for the team that were that conceded a penalty or received a penalty, sorry. And um, but I think I think it makes for a better spectacle when teams are even. That's all I can say. Because no one wants to be ripped off of a spectacle. No one wants to be to have to win a game is, is winning, but to win via that sort of um, uh, way is can sometimes sort of take the effort or take the result. That makes sense. Yeah, and I remember yeah. when the one one game that really stands out was the 2011 World Cup when they lost. Um, Welsh lost their flanker. That was the semi-final. Sam Warburton. Against, yeah, Sam Warburton against France. Yeah, I was at that game. And that was so early in the game, you know, when they yeah. lost Sam Warburton. And so Wales, you know, were, were, you know, they had every sort of potential ability to try and win that game, sort of now just lost because they got that one man disadvantage. And we saw that French held on just in Wales, um, how much they, they, they could have used Warburton on to, you know, just to have an even playing field of a full complement of players. And uh, Wales were, yeah, denied a, a final because of it, I believe, anyway. So the 20 minute rule, I, I think, is fair. Um, it gives the team one advantage, but the, the ability for the team that lost their player to be replaced to level it up again and try and make a good fist of it thereafter. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, I also think, like, for the referee, like, they don't want to influence the game that much. So, I know, not always, but previously, they've been really reluctant to give up red cards for that reason, you say. It just changes the whole dynamic of the contest, particularly if it's in the first half. But at least with this 20-minute changeover... I suppose this, the team isn't fully massively disadvantaged, disadvantaged, so it gives the refs a bit more confidence to give a red card, if that makes any sense. But um, we've seen even the minnows when they lose a player, you know, to that kind of uh, to a red card, you know, they're really disadvantaged just due to the ability and you know the lack of playing, um, you know, um, tier one opposition. And so then for them to, them to lose the player, not only for 10 minutes, but a red card for the rest of the game, it's, um, you know, they're, they're on, a, on, on a hiding to nothing anyway, right from the get-go. So when Canada lost their lock in the recent World Cup, it disadvantaged them even further, and the, 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 the points blow out, and, you know, from what could have been a, a lot closer if they had their full complement of players. But I, I get why they do it. You know, I get why they get the red card has to come out, and it's all to do with the... Um, the interpretation of the laws that the referees have, and they all have a different interpretation. And sometimes, to the letter of the law, they have to rule it, regardless of whether it was accidental or, you know, whether the player had no control in, in his, his movement or positioning in order to receive a red card. You know, shoulders directly at a, at a ruck used to be a normal thing. Now, you know, get a shoulder, you can't get any longer in a ruck, and you happen to 
make contact with someone's head, it's the, the red card straight away, or slips up from someone else's shoulder and hits the head, it's the, the red card. It's, and so that luck could be all cut, it was a farce. It was just, well, you know, it's one thing to say that the referees were trigger happy on the red card, or even the yellow card, but it's the law from which they have to um, play, they can't do anything. If that's the law, they have to rule on it. They should have had that rule when you were getting all those red cards while you were playing, Rog. Might have helped your teams out a bit more. But um, Joey, mate, have you got any thoughts on the on the new on the new laws? Yeah, well, I'm um, I'm a big I'm I'm not a big fan of the the red card replacement rule. Um, I oh, okay. I'm from the old school. Uh, if you get a red card, you deserved it, You're and and your 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 team deserves to suffer because of your discrepancy um and therefore you know the powers that be need to do what they need to do uh to you off the pitch to um get their punishment out i am i am i am a big fan of the golden point um ruling golden point law where um you know, the Golden Point law was brought in to replace the five-meter um, restart, the five-meter scrum. I think it does speed up the game, and it's definitely served its purpose in that. Um, and I'm all for a sped-up game, but at the same time as a forward, a front-row forward, um, you know, I can understand. I don't agree that, you know, they should necessarily replace five-meter scrums with that, but... Um, and, and it would be quicker than a five-meter scrum, but yeah, uh, I, I am a big fan of the, the golden points. The Australians had a bit of a, a variance on that with the golden try, right? Right, that golden try, yeah. So golden try extra time is probably the you know, the the better way to stamp your mark on a game because you've just scored a try, therefore you deserve to win. Um, whereas, you know, you could be doing 50 to 100 phases and then, you know, this awesome drop kicker just slots one in, um, which, you know, it's quite disheartening. I'd rather lose to a try than a drop kick. Yeah. Yeah, I, I know I watched the first, the very first game of Golden Point um, and Super Rugby Australia last year and both teams didn't want to lose. So what happened was they ended up sort of essentially playing a game of forceback where, you know, they didn't want to get caught in their own half. So they were just kicking it, playing for territory, and both teams were just kicking it back and forth, and no one actually won. But it turned the whole game changed in that extra time. So I think that's how they came up with the golden try, which I was also a fan of, similar to you, Joey. So, yeah, I think these new rules, I'm glad they got rid of the 50-22 Yeah, that's rubbish. Kick. That was rubbish. That was definitely rubbish. I'm uh, glad that's gone. Um, yeah, so some interesting thoughts there on the on the rules. One last thing I wanted to touch on. So not not something that we normally touch on, but um, I hope Rogers sorted out his technical issues. But uh, Warren Gatlin, the Chiefs coach, or maybe not the Chiefs coach. Now that McMillan's done a really good job, but he's named his team for the Lions. Uh, the Lions tour to South Africa. So a couple of key things. The great Alan Wynne Jones, you know, a favourite of the our podcast. His greatness extends even further. Um, he's been named as the captain of the Lions. But there's a couple of key guys who got left out. So I'm just having a look now. Jonathan Sexton, the Irish uh, first five. You know, he was World Player of the Year only two years ago. 
and he was the top point scorer in the Six Nations, and he got he didn't make it. Uh, Billy Vonipola is another guy in uh, England, number eight, who, you know, he's been around for a long period. I think he's bloody awesome. Another guy who didn't make it. And Jonathan Davies, the Welsh centre. So he was the Lions player of the year, uh, Lions player of the tournament when they came and toured uh, the All Blacks uh, 2017. So those three guys not making it. Um, Alan Wynne-Jones establishing himself amongst the pantheon of all-time great locks with uh, this captaincy. But what have you made of any of that there, Joey, with the, the Lions' upcoming tour? Oh, mate. Um, look, there were a couple of other uh, notable names that missed out. One being Billy Vulnipola. He was quite a notable one, but uh, apparently, um, just through rugby circles over there, he didn't have the best um, campaign playing for his Saracens team. Because if you know the the rugby landscape over there, Saracens were dropped from the Premiership um, and relegated to the next one down, which I believe is called the Championship. And anyway, they they the players that were used to playing uh, having national honours for England and and the likes, they apparently all of them didn't fire as as much as they would have if they were in the Premiership, playing against consistently top-quality players in a top-quality competition. So um, Billy Vonipola, unfortunately, he is a casualty of of that complacency, I believe, and, and rightly so. But there's another name of note, Kyle Sinclair, who was the, the prop, yes. prop yes. forward. He's a very mobile running prop forward who's great with ball in hand and um, a good team man as well. He's been interviewed a couple of times and has teared up on both interviews. I watched him during one emotional interview that he that he did, and uh, he admitted that he'd been through quite an emotional week after learning that he um, missed out on, on selection. And, you know, he has decided, you know what, he's not going to take the high road. He's going to take it on the chin, and he... According to him, he was given good feedback as to why he didn't make the team. And I know that because um, I've missed out on teams myself over the years and and not to the level that he has, but um, I know the feeling of missing out on a team that you really wanted to play for and not getting feedback as to how you can improve to make it next time around. Um, because that's very disheartening to, one, not make the team, but to be in limbo as to why you didn't make the team or what you can improve on for next time, uh, what you can work on. So uh, I was glad to hear that he did get feedback, and you know that's probably helped him in his grieving, if you like. Um, but yeah, there are, there are speculations that... Um, Gats, Warren Gatland, actually held a grudge against Winnie Puller, um after the comments four years ago uh, that he what, made. What, oh, yeah, what comments to those? I wasn't not familiar with that. So it was the, I think it was the comments of around the um, standing during the national anthem, where when everyone else took a knee, maybe. Okay. Um, Ah, right. So, so okay. Yeah. So he was asked. So he was asked in an interview and his, he made an announcement. This is what I know about Gats. Oh, no, this was someone else. Sorry. 
Billy came out and said Eddie Jones should have coached the last tour and Gats will hold a grudge. There is no chance of it. That's what I think. So, so yeah, that's what Billy did. Billy said that Eddie Jones should have coached the last tour and guess what? Gats has got this tour and guess what? You're out. You get to have your, <laughs> you get, get to have your time with Eddie Jones and, you know, we, we need to be wary that uh, everything we say online or in, in public and media it stays there forever. Somebody's going to record it. Somebody's going to hold on to it. There's going to be a way to find it. And unfortunately for Billy, he probably regrets it now. That was probably the the you know the final nail in the coffin for his non-selection. Um, <clears throat> as right as he may have been at the time, which you know he probably wasn't far from the truth. Um, He's got to suffer the consequences of, of his action. You know, there's a reaction to every action. And unfortunately, the reaction this time is by Gats, by not selecting him. It's going to be interesting, eh? Because the South Africa, they haven't, they haven't played. They haven't played for what's since the World Cup, I don't think. So, um, you know, you've got to give the Lions a decent shout here. I, I, it's going to be a really awesome series. I'm really happy for Alan Wynne-Jones. I think, you know, we talked about this on a previous podcast, how highly I rate him. I think he's one of the top three or four greatest locks who have ever lived. Um, yeah, I don't know people laughed at that. I don't know people laughed at that, but I stand by that. He's the most kept locked of all time. I know someone, Will, Green, Will Greenwood, Will Greenwood said that Alan Wynne-Jones is the best player to come out of the Northern Hemisphere this century. And oh someone else said that he's the greatest Welsh player who's ever lived. I can't remember who that was. But he's been getting praise after praise after praise. And, you know, he deserves to be the captain. And I, mate, this just confirms to me his greatness as one of the top. I, I might even put him in the top three greatest locks who have ever lived. The great Alan Wynne-Jones. So... <laughs> I know I'm sort of on my own on that one, but no one else in the podcast agrees with me. But, mate, he is bloody amazing. And, uh, yeah, he was um, his two-time nominee for World Player of the Year, and he was named Locke in the team of the decade. So, uh, you know, you can keep going on and on about all the plaudits and everything that goes his way, and I do, just to prove my point. Um, yeah. Anything you want to say about our great Alan Wynne-Jones? Just one other thing I wanted to say. There's a young wing that they got there from Wales. Um, what's his name? Louis, Louis Rees Zammett. So I think he's a 19-year-old who's been playing wing for Wales, and he looks really amazing. So that could be a guy to watch out for just for some of our listeners out there who aren't familiar with some of the Northern Hemisphere rugby. So... Uh, Joe, mate, you got anything you want to say on Alan Wynne-Jones or anything else in the Lions before we... Sorry, Alan Wynne-who? Want to talk about how... <laughs> the great Alan Wynne-Jones. <laughs> I know you Is guys he... mocked him last time we talked about him, but you got to put him in the top... How high? Top? you got to put him at least top five. Top ten. Did he play for England? <laughs> <laughs> the great, no, the um... great Welshman, Alan Wynne-Jones. No, I'm just playing, mate. Um, I think... It's it's a tough one. It's a tough one to agree to because, you know, we've been spoiled here on this side of the globe with, you know, some absolutely talented specimens and locks um, over the decades. And, and um, it's hard for me to 
because I haven't seen enough of Alan Wynne Jones, even though I lived there for a period of time on that side of the world, um, and watched a fair bit of him, but not once during any time I've watched him have I ever thought to myself, "Oh, mate, that guy is a great lock." You know, I, I, I already think of at least ten names before him. Unfortunately for you, for you, Stacy. Unfortunately for you, and they're all and they're all locks who haven't haven't played half as long as he has. So um, you know, it's, I guess it comes down to personal preference. Let's put it down to that personal preference. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I think Gats probably needs to be not only strategic, but he needs to take risks. I mean, he's already chosen his team, and I can sort of see, to some degree, how he's you know he's mixed that up a bit. But with with um, old players and new players, um, there's some exciting talent that he's actually added to this team. There's one particular name that I'm excited about and, and really want to see get some good game time, and there's Bandiaki of Connaught. Bandiaki of Connaught, um, he's yeah. he's made the team. Um, I think it's the first time since the 1980s since somebody from Connaught has made the team. So good on him for for making the team. Um, there is some um, some young blokes as well. There's Mario Toje. There's a few others, but uh, I think he does have an eye for the future with the selection of this particular squad. Now, there's some names there that I just don't even recognize, like Freddie Stewart. I don't know who he is. I haven't watched in any of his games. Adam Radwan. I don't know who he is. Gary Ringrose, outside center. I don't know who he is. Cameron Redpath, never heard of him. You know, these, these are players that obviously are good enough to play for the Lions and Good enough in Warren Gatlin's eyes and his and his uh, coaching staff. Then you have fly half Marcus Smith. I don't even know who Marcus Smith is. And as a fly half, you would have heard at least a once or twice before they get to make a team like the Lions. Jamie Robbie, never heard of him from Scotland. Alice Genge, yep, have heard of him, but for bad reasons more than good reasons. Because um, <laughs> he's, he's he's done he's done some silly things, hasn't he? Um, Alfie Barberi, hooker. Mm, haven't really heard of him. Andrew Porter, haven't even heard of him, you know, and I pride myself on knowing who the good props are around the world. So, um, you know, I guess Gats really has an eye for the future. And, you know, this bloody Lions team, it's, um, what, 2025, right? That's I right, I think hey. it's, um, no, 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 no. What was it next year? This year, I think. Yeah, this year they're playing. Yes, it would be this year. Yeah, they're playing Japan on June twenty sixth as a warm up, and then they're on off to um, play South Africa in July. So, okay, I think the team I'm naming is a possible team for twenty twenty five. Sorry, ignore ignore everything I just said. <laughs> okay, that's good. I was like, oh shucks, I don't know anyone of the players you're talking about. So that's good. That's good. Okay. But yeah, I, if you were looking to a 2025 British Irish Lions um, 15, that, that would probably be the team. Yeah, I need to um, read properly. But um, Bandiaki, mate, that's going to be my standout player of this Lions tour to South Africa. Yeah, it is. It's this year. Shit, what am I talking about? Um, and the South African journos, they're already mocking um, 
Alan Wynne Jones, your your guy, Alan Wynne Jones, is uh, a pensioner who needs a wheelchair. How dare they, mate? How dare they disrespect the great Alan Wynne Jones? Um, yeah, they, they, there's, there's some. Uh, they've got the makings of a good team here. Yeah, I'm pretty happy. I, I quite like the look. I was surprised at some of the names, like you mentioned, Billy Funipola getting left out. He's a gun, you know, and some of these other guys that mentioned Jonathan Sexton as well. I can't believe he's not in there. He should be in there. But I, when I look at the, the fly house they got, so they got um, Dan Bigger, who we know from Wales, is very good. Owen Farrell, who he's been poor, um, but he obviously gets in. And they got Finn Russell from um, Scotland, who's bloody awesome as well. So probably a quite a lot of uh, competition for for first five. But yeah, I would have loved it. Sexton should be there, to be fair. Uh, it's going to be a good contest in any way, obviously. And Alan Wynne Jones, he's uh, he was there when they beat, uh, he captained them when they won in the tour of Australia. So you know he could be in some real high company if they can get them across the line against South Africa, mate. He will be, you know, those captaining of the Lions to and two separate victories will be. Outstanding, and that will just add to his legend. I will say, I know I just talked him up, but lock is probably the toughest position to make it make it as an all-time great. Because I know, like Australia, think that uh, like the greatest Australian who's ever lived is um, John Eels, and we like um, we've got uh, Colin Meads. Colin Meads is one of our all-time greats. So you know, all, a lot of countries have lock as the highest position. Jones has 159 games, making him the game's most capped international. Um, see, when I see that and read that, I think to myself, flip, that makes, um, you know, that, that, that's, that's definitely an achievement. I'm not going to take that away from him. But it kind of downplays a little bit the amount of games that Richie McCaw's had. Or sorry, the the quality of games that Richie McCaw's had. You know the things that Richie McCaw's done in his hundred and forty three odd um, test matches, or forty one or something like that. To to read that someone else has outdone him in the number of games, hundred and fifty nine so far, not out. And to think about what Richie McCaw did in the black jersey every time. It kind of like it's a shame. It's a shame that Richie wasn't the top, you know, for longer, for much longer. Um, because again, I think of Alan Jones and all the games that I've ever watched of his, both from club and country and lions, and I'm underwhelmed with emotion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> No, no, it's going to be, yeah. Well, I suppose that's quite a um, subjective topic, eh? like how highly you you rank people in the, in the greats and stuff. I, I will say I love him. I'm a fan of his. I think he's bloody amazing. So, you know, I, I hope that they win. I hope they win. I, I'll be gunning for the Lions. We'll probably follow that tour as part of our podcast as well when it happens because I know the Lions is a big deal. And, um, you know, it's one of the great things about rugby and world rugby outside the world cup i think the lions tours is probably the biggest thing you can have in our game so you know it's, it's going to be something worth following for sure 
But uh, yeah, I think that's just about us, mate. Unless you got anything else you wanted to, to touch on before we uh, Cam's edits this all up? Just, I've got a quick one. Just um, uh, Mark Keokane, who is a local journo for in that side of the world, he's written this funny thing that I, I read, which is the rallying cry from within the Lions rugby fraternity is that Gatland is fighting fire with fire, bringing beasts to the Republic to conquer the world champion Springboks. But I disagree. Gatlin has picked hobbits to be giant slayers, <laughs> and he has he has far too many Neville nobodies in his squad of 37. I have to agree. I have to agree to some degree. I have to agree. But time will tell. And this will be, I guess, you know, the... <clears throat> The, the 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 thing that Gatlin will be remembered for on that side of the world the most. Yeah. This tour. Yep. It'll be interesting because he's got a really good reputation in the Northern Hemisphere for his coaching, what he did with Wales and all the rest of it. So he's widely regarded as one of the elite coaches in the Northern Hemisphere, at least. You know, in the South, he probably doesn't get the recognition he deserves, but over there... He's they they love him over there, so he can either add to his legacy, as you say, or you know he could diminish it a bit more. So uh, this tour is going to be really interesting and fascinating for him. But yeah, there's no way they're fighting fire with fire. They didn't pick Billy Vonipolo, who seems like the obvious guy to to do that if they were going to do that. So yeah, I probably agree with that. But they will follow that British and Irish Lions tour. Some this Trans Tasman section is going to be interesting. So all we've had really is New Zealand teams playing against each other. I don't think. Like pre-COVID was when the last sort of match against the non-New Zealand team was took place. So I think this next section is going to be interesting. You know, uh, the Reds to me look the real deal. And I'm not sure where, you know, they are. We always know the Crusaders are good, but where everyone else is is still a bit up in the air. And I think that adds a bit of excitement to this upcoming competition. So I'm happy we put the $10 on the Chiefs, actually. I think that... I just hope it's someone else other than the Crusaders wins, which is uh, what I'm really hoping for. But it's hard to bet against them when you look at how good they are. And, you know, even though I, I dislike them, you have to give them a lot of um, a lot of credit. So, yeah, it's going to be a real interesting section. I know that Dave Rennie will be really happy with the form of some of those players. So that puts a bit of extra spice into the, the you know, the international part uh, phase of the competitions as well. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just quite interested to see what happens. And I'm trying to stall here so I can give Roger some minute to sort out his technical difficulties. But it doesn't look like it's going to happen. So, um, yeah, I think that's going to be us. Um, <laughs> just want to thank thank everyone for coming on. Thank the listeners for joining us for another episode of The Counteract. <laughs> We're available on the usual podcast platforms. So Stitcher, Spotify, Apple... There's another Google podcast, iHeartRadio, wherever you find your podcast, you'll find us there. And also YouTube, so we can watch us on there. So um, thanks, boys, for being a part of it. Joey, mate, you're a knowledgeable man, so appreciate everything. Rog, thanks for your silent partnership in this podcast. <laughs> and Cameron, mate, thanks for doing the fact checky for us. Well, that's us, boys, and so we'll be back again uh, next week. So thanks. Roger, shocking. I bet you're going to find your, your, your way into this <laughs> now. I bet it's going to be fixed now.